This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Scripture reading today will be taken from the entirety of Jonah chapter 4. I'll give us a moment to grab our Bibles, or you can follow the passage on the screen. Jonah chapter 4, reading from verse 1. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head is his discomfort, and Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn, the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It would be better, better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? This is the word of God. Brother Nicholas will now speak to us God's word. Uh, good morning, friends. Uh, happy holidays to all the, all the children. Uh, no, not you children. But I'm thinking children's ministry. All the youth all the academic teachers, and happy Teacher's Day uh, to children's ministry teachers, to the youth leaders, and to the Bible study leaders. Thank you for your hard work in, working, in understanding God's Word so that you can teach other people. Let's pray. Lord, open our hearts and our minds by the power of your Spirit. Uh, that as Scripture is read, the Word is proclaimed, may hear with joy what you have to say to us today. In Jesus' name, Amen. This is, uh, when I'm stressed, uh, when I need to relax, one thing I do is I read books, especially uh, Christian humor, like the postmodern Pilgrim's Progress, um, like okay, so like the Babylon Bee's Guide to Wokeness. <clears throat> okay. Uh, oh, so the slides are here. Okay. 
So, yeah, so one book that I read, which I, I particularly enjoyed, is this book called, okay, let me get this up, you can see it. Yeah. Is this one? Yes. Okay, there we go. Okay, it's the Sacred Diary of Adrian Plus, age uh, yeah, 62 and three quarter, Adrian Plus in the Church Weekend. Okay, so this is, now, so what this book does is it makes fun of Christians so that, uh, to teach Christians important lessons. Okay, what am I talking about? Let me give you an example. You. Okay. okay, so this is a letter that Adrian Plus came across uh, when some lady was writing these letters to suffering Christians. And this lady found a super efficient way to do it. So this is, this is what she had. She had this template and she just wrote, filled up the template. The personal letter of support to oppressed friends and contacts. Dear friends slash companions slash volunteers slash so and so, delete, add, or insert as appropriate. This is to assure you we are thinking of you as you face the tsunami, earthquake, nuclear accident, and so on and so forth. Delete or insert uh, as appropriate. Okay. That your homeland of uh, Uganda, Australia, New Zealand, Japan, delete or insert as appropriate, is suffering, has suffered, is about to suffer, delete as appropriate. Please believe, dear blank, that we think of you <coughs> and frequently pray for you. Oh, sorry, I pray for you. Occasionally, frequently, without pause, please select commitment. And we hope to see you again in the immediate, near, distant, uh, in, indeterminate, like indicate likelihood, future. Yours with love and deep sincerity. <clears throat> now, this is uh, it's meant to make us laugh also may, and meant to make us think. When I show love to other people, to suffering Christians, uh, do I do it like that? Or do I do it with true uh, sincerity? Now, a Christian comedian once said that good Christian humor is this. It makes, makes fun of other Christians, but it also makes us think about ourselves. Uh, it also points... Yeah, so instead of laughing just at others, good Christian humor make us, makes us think about ourselves to see whether we should be laughing at ourselves. And if we are laughing at ourselves, then I'll uh, make a U-turn. So for those lit students out there, if you want the technical term for this sort of humor, it's called satire. So we get strong doses of this satire in the book of Jonah. Okay, let me give you an example. So Jonah 1. How Jonah thought he could outrun the God who made the sea and the dry land. And how the non-Israelite, how the non-Israelite sailors were more God-fearing than the self-acclaimed God-fearing Jonah. And this, uh, a few weeks, uh, last week, the week before, when I was eating my filet fish, I realized, isn't it funny that normally the fish is in my belly, but in the passage, Jonah was in the fish's belly. So we laugh at Jonah, then we face palm and go, Jonah, how could you be so silly? But this story also makes us uh, think about ourselves and laugh at ourselves. So we face palm at ourselves and say, Oh, Nick, Oh self, how could you be so silly? Today we are at Jonah chapter 4. So uh, we think of this as a play. So there are, there, this true story, there are two acts. 
So imagine a play we call the drama of Jonah. I call this uh, laughing at Jonah. In each act, there's a scene, and there's some action at the scene, and Jonah thinks about something, and there's a conversation with God. Okay, so act one, God's mercy. Act two, Lord's concern. And because of both of that, we laugh at Jonah, and we laugh at ourselves, and repent. So act one. Okay, so the scene in act one is uh, Nineveh. Okay, so Nineveh. So now Nineveh is this is part of the Assyrian Empire, the bloodthirsty Assyrian Empire, where they tortured enemies uh, creatively to boast about how barbaric they can be. Okay, so that's the scene, the action. Okay, that's what we saw last week. In Jonah chapter 3, God sends Jonah again to Nineveh to preach. This time, Jonah obeys and he goes. 40 years and Nineveh will be overthrown. And the people, they wear sackcloth. They fast, they repent, they turn from their sins, and they even urgently pray to God uh, for mercy, for help. And what's God's response in verse, chapter 3, verse 10? God's, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, He relented and did not bring on them the destruction He had threatened. Now that's the action. Revival in Nineveh. A widespread nationwide repentance. All Nineveh repented, and they were spared God's judgment. All glory to God. Praise the Lord. But what does Jonah think? Chapter 4, verse 1. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. To Jonah, God's mercy to Nineveh was very wrong. If you're using ESV, you notice there's a footnote. And that footnote says that God's mercy to Nineveh was exceedingly Evil to Jonah. Literally, God's good mercy became a great evil. Great evil. Now, if you studied the book of Jonah, you might have noticed that in the book of Jonah, the words great and the word evil repeats quite a lot. But the only time great and evil come together is in this part of the Bible, as in this part of the book of Jonah. Not to describe how great the, the, the wicked Ninevites were, how evil they were, but to describe God's mercy. Jonah thinks God's mercy to the Ninevites is a great evil, even worse evil than the Ninevites being wicked. This is, God's, this is Jonah's assessment of God. God's mercy is more evil than an evil Ninevites. So that's what Jonah thinks, and he puts this in conversation, this thought in conversation with God in his prayer. Now, this is not a meek and mild prayer. He's raging at God's great mercy. So, verse 2 He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in, in love, God who relents from sending calamity. Jonah knows God showed mercy because he is merciful. That's his character. So in Jonah chapter 3, verse 9, the king of Nineveh said, Who knows if God relents? By chapter 4, Jonah knows. I knew you are gracious and compassionate, God. And it's only here Jonah reveals why he, he fled the first time. He said no to God the first time because he knew that there was a chance the Lord could forgive the Ninevites. 
God knows because of, uh, Jonah knows this because God has described this is who he is uh, in the Bible. He knows his Bible. That's what we, we, we saw in the responsive reading. And I don't know whether you noticed. That's what we sang about when we sang 10,000 Reasons. So 10,000 Reasons, you're rich in love, slow to anger. That's 10,000 Reasons to sing. Or Jonah is 10,000 Reasons to be angry. Okay, so Jonah got this, uh, got what, he, what God said uh, in Exodus chapter 34. So Exodus 34 happened 700 years before Jonah. There God's people abandoned God. They made golden calves uh, to say, this golden calf brought you out of Egypt. So Moses, their leader, prayed for the people and God forgave them. Now Moses, the leader, wanted to know God's character so that he can lead the people. He wanted to know God's nature. What kind, of God, what kind of God he is, what's his glory, so that he can lead the people in the same way. So God, Moses asked God to show him his glory. And this is uh, what happened. Exodus 34, verse 6. He passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, bounding in love and faithfulness, attaining love to the thousands, even forgive, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. Punishes the children and their children for sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation. God's glory is in his overwhelming love, overwhelming steadfast love, and in his justice. So in the ESV, uh, when you see the word steadfast love, in the, in the Old Testament especially, it's always a throwback, uh, it's always throwing back to, to this passage, talking about God's character. So if God could forgive the the Israelites of their blatant idolatry, Jonah knew that God might forgive the wicked Ninevites if they repented. And God did. So God's glory in forgiving the wicked Ninevites triggered Jonah to boiling fury. He's so angry that, that he threw a tantrum and got his priorities wrong. He thinks it's better to die than to stay alive in this world uh, where, God, where mercy is the last word. Jonah blamed the merciful God for being merciful. God's glorious mercy is exceedingly evil to Jonah. So Jonah felt, God, I know better than you. You should have punished these evil people. Not spare them. Sparing the wicked, that's the worst evil, even if they repent. Now here's the problem in our stories. In chapter 4, verse 4. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Now what, what God is asking is, is it right for you, Jonah, to be angry that I'm showing mercy? Okay, now there are two parts to this question. Now this question, yes, is, is Jonah right to be angry at God's mercy? The two parts. First part is, is Jonah right to be angry? Or is, or is Jonah's anger justified? Second, is God justified? Is God right to show mercy? Now to this question, uh, to, to, to the overall question, you might, you might expect Jonah to say, yes, I am right to be angry. You are wrong to show mercy. Don't you know that these Ninevites, they're sadistic, they're cruel. Don't you know that these Ninevites, they don't worship you, they worship idols? But Jonah says none of this. You see, verse 4, after God asks him the question, Verse 5, 
he storms off to build a tent. It's like he blue-ticked God on WhatsApp, or he literally rage-quit on God. So let's think about these two, these two uh, sub-questions again. Is Jonah right to be angry? Now the book has, of Jonah has already given us uh, enough clues to answer the first question. The answer is, answer is, oh no. Let's see, well, how does this work? If Jonah thinks it's right to be angry, but the answer should be no. It's not right uh, to be angry. Okay, so I have two reasons for this. So first, uh, in the book of Jonah, on one level, who is Jonah to answer God this way? I mean, Jonah is a mere human being. And what do we learn about God? God is a God, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Uh, Jonah shouldn't be shaking his puny fist at the almighty God. Jonah is wrong to be angry at God. But on the other hand, the other reason is, Jonah is being a hypocrite. Now, hypocrite is, in this case, is someone who enjoys God's mercy, but doesn't want other people to enjoy God's mercy too. What do I mean? Is in the book of Jonah, Jonah pray, it's only said that Jonah prays two times. The first time is here, chapter 4, uh, verse 2. He prayed to the Lord. Second time. What's the first time? The first time was chapter 2, uh, verse 1. When, when inside the belly of the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord. Now, in that first prayer, while Jonah was asking God for help, uh, for, for mercy for himself when he disobeyed, he even gave this theologically rich statement that we, come back, we came back over and over again through the book. Salvation belongs to the Lord. So quick to ask God to show him mercy, but also so quick to get angry at God for his mercy at Nineveh. So for Jonah, yes, salvation belongs to the Lord. As long as it's not those bad guys, as long as it's not those Ninevites. Jonah thinks he knows better than God or who God should save. So he thinks he knows better than God, but that's all. Jonah thinks he is better than the Ninevites. Except that Jonah forgot uh, that his people also worship idols. And his people were also wicked to each other. So uh, this, is, this is the king during Jonah's time. This is what the king did. So he, the king, Israelite king, did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn away from any of the sins of Jeroboam, son of the mud. This is the first uh, king of the northern kingdom, which he had caused Israel to commit. So the, the king during Jonah's time continued in the sins of the first king. And the sins of the first king is to set up, uh, set up temples, set up idols, and say these are temples to worship at, to worship the true God. These are the idols that brought you out of Egypt. And Israel, the northern kingdom, all went to these two temples to worship I don't know. They think they're worshipping God, but they're really worshipping idols. So they've removed God, the true God, from their religion, from their worship. Now, if you remove the true God from your worship, then what will happen to what God said about each other? What will happen to God's law about how we interact? If you take out God, then the, there's no more rules governing how they relate to each other. Okay, so this is what Another prophet during Jonah's time said, Hosea chapter 4 verse 1, Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel. For the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. 
There is no faithfulness or steadfast love. It's steadfast love in throwback to uh, God's character. No knowledge of God in the land. So people have abandoned God. That's what chapter 4 verse 1 is saying. And what happens when you abandon God? What happens to their relationships? There is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds. Bloodshed follows bloodshed. There is no difference like, in, their, in the people, in, the way, in how people react compared to the Ninevites. Israel is like Nineveh. And Jonah is also like Nineveh. Jonah is like Nineveh, yet God showed Jonah mercy. So Jonah doesn't know better than God. So Jonah doesn't really know God. Now how can Jonah be, be right to be angry? How can Jonah get God's mercy and deny that mercy to someone else? Okay, so this is, this is what the New Testament picks up on. This type of hypocritical anger at God's grace. At the parable of the lost son. Now in this story, the man has two sons. The younger son wastes all the father's money. He comes back home and asks for, asks for mercy, forgiveness. Father forgives him and throws a party to welcome him. But the older brother, this is his reaction. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered, well, he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you, never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. The Father's mercy, the Father's grace, is a picture of God's mercy, of God's grace. That the vilest offender who truly believes a moment from Jesus, a pardon receives. We sing that the worst sinner can be forgiven. But we don't literally want the literal worst sinner to believe. Now, a minister in the US, Roy Radcliffe, baptized this person called Jeffrey Dahmer in prison. Jeffrey Dahmer was famous in the past because Jeffrey Dahmer had, had two nicknames. Milwaukee Cannibal, Milwaukee uh, Monster. For 13 years, he, he killed, he ate 17 men and boys. And he got baptized by, by a minister named Roy. Now, how do you think Christians reacted? They welcomed him open, open arms? No. Many were shocked. And they showed that they are shocked by, uh, by ignoring Roy, by shunning Roy. Your son told Roy, I want no part of heaven that includes this monster. And the worst part is this. When the, when the ministers, when pastors of the region meet, one minister frequently points Roy out to everyone else and publicly says, do you know who that minister is? Do you know what he did? Do you know who he baptized? Someone in one of the Jonah groups shared this. It shared that he knows someone who will not believe in Jesus. But why? Why would she not believe in Jesus? Because she knows the wicked murderer who believes in Jesus on his deathbed will get mercy, will get pardon from Jesus. That wicked murderer who believes in Jesus will not face judgment. 
Now, what does the Bible say about, about, about this? The Bible tells us that we must always rejoice when there is life rather than judgment. Jonah is wrong. It's better to live under God's mercy than die under God's judgment. But just like the father in the story of the lost son concludes, but we had to, we must celebrate and be glad because his brother of yours was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. Now, we might not hate people like the older brother, but there are some people who irk us, who get on our nerves. Maybe they have some physical habits that we don't like. Maybe you don't even like their smell. And we think these people are beneath us in life. And not just in life, we think these people are beneath us in receiving God's mercy. We know, we know, the Lord shows us mercy when we believe in Jesus. But we show that we don't know, we don't know the Lord when we deny other people that same mercy. When we refuse to talk to them, refuse to tell them anything about Jesus. So Jonah's anger at God's, at God's mercy is wrong. Because Jonah also received God's mercy. But is the Lord right to show mercy to the Ninevites? That's what we see in Act 2, the Lord's concern. Okay, the Lord's concern. <clears throat> so now the scene changes from Nineveh to Jonah's makeshift shelter uh, in, in the desert. So chapter 4, verse 5. Jonah had gone out and sat at a place near, east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in his shade, waited to see what would happen to the city. So maybe the 40 days were up. Maybe Jonah thought, oh, God might change his mind. So he said, stay some distance away, goes out, at and uh, maybe buys popcorn on the way to watch God's destruction. Maybe God will send down fire from the sky. But no fire came down from Nineveh. No. Instead, the sun came down on Jonah. Now, Jonah's feeble shelter failed to shelter him from the hot Middle East sun. So God stepped in. So what did God do in Jonah in verse 6? Verse 6. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant, made it grow over Jonah to give shade for his head, ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. So the God of heaven, maker of sea, dry land, you can make anything in the world, provided one plant for Jonah to ease his discomfort from the heat. This plant was like the air corn uh, under the scorching, from the scorching sun. It was like an off switch to an unstoppable sauna. So this rescue, uh, this, this tiny rescue from this little discomfort in made him, in verse 6, feel very happy. Aesthetic, over the moon, jumping for joy. Well, he didn't really jump. Because he jumped, he jumped out of the tent. Then what happened next? In verse 8 and verse nine, verse 7 and verse 8, what else did God provide? <clears throat> verse 7. By dawn the next day, God provided a worm which threw the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, uh, God provided a scorching east wind. The sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die. He said, 
it will be better for me to die than to live. So the Lord provided a worm to literally uh, attack the plant. So Jonah's shade was gone. And then, uh, the Lord, then God provided a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. And the sun blazed, or literally attacked Jonah's head. And this made Jonah faint. This made him get a heat stroke. Now, what is going on in this picture? What is God doing? Friends, this is a small picture of God's judgment, where God took away Jonah's comfort, God allowed the plant to be attacked, and God allowed Jonah to feel the heat, to be attacked by the sun. Now, God has two lessons for Jonah from from this incident. Lessons from the plant. The first lesson comes from how Jonah thinks. So how does Jonah think about God's judgment? What does he say in verse 8? This is what he says to himself. So he, Jonah, wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. God's judgment, even, even such a small dose, is great pain. Severe. Okay, so uh, Justin is going uh, to army uh, on... Was that 28 September? Yeah, so he will, he will realize that if you go to army, that one of the big things the army is, is on about is heat stroke. Yeah, they, they make sure you drink lots of water and I, I, they have this device that actually measures the, the wind speed, the temperature, and then it tells you, there's a risk assessment based on that, tells you whether it's safe to do your activity or not. Now, they are, they, they are concerned because people have died from heat stroke. Now, I'm not saying that uh, all heat stroke is God exercising judgment. But in this passage, the way that jo- the book describes Jonah's pain is, shows us a, a, is actually a picture of God's judgment, of how God withholds mercy and exercises judgment. It's so painful, so uncomfortable, so bad for Jonah, that he would rather, he would rather die to escape all this pain. So in this case, it is better to, to live under God's mercy and to suffer God's judgment. There's nothing happy about God's judgment. So in verse 3, uh, where, when Jonah says, well, it's better to live than, than to die, no, Jonah is wrong. God's mercy is good. That's the first lesson from the plant. And the second lesson we see in the conversation between God and Jonah. Look with me at verse 9. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. Verse 6 is very happy. Verse 9, very angry. An emotional roller coaster over this one plant. His emotional well being controlled by his concern for this one plant, whether the plant is doing well or not. Now, friends, I want you to notice something. God's question in verse 9 and God's question in verse 4, they are slightly different. So here, it's, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? What do you think? Was it right for Jonah to be angry that the plant was taken away? Well, in a very, very tiny way, yes, it is understandable. Is right. See, Jonah is understandable for Jonah to be angry at the plant because 
God's judgment could have killed him. And in verse 4, Jonah didn't reply, but in verse 9, this time Jonah says, It is, he said, I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. It's understandable. It makes sense for Jonah to be angry in a small way. It is right to feel angry when this plant was taken, this plant that rescued Jonah from the heat, this plant that preserved his life. But Jonah did nothing for the plant that they shouted him. Verse 10, here in verse 10, he's concerned for this plant that he did nothing for. Now look at verse 11. What is God concerned about? Verse 11, what is God concerned about? God is concerned for the great city of Nineveh with more than 120,000 people and many animals. I remember earlier I said, Jonah thinks he knows better than God. So God says, okay, let's compare ourselves. Let's imagine you, let's, let's compare our concerns, see whether you, you can be God. So for God, what is God's concern in this passage? What's, the top, what's his top concern? His top concern is for people, for the Ninevites, followed by people, followed by animals, and last, for his one plant. God is so concerned for the people of Nineveh, he, he knows that they need, cons- they need saving, so he sends Jonah to, to tell them to repent. How about Jonah's concern? What is Jonah concerned for? Top concern, plant. And maybe animals, but we know, all the way down at the bottom, Nineveh. People. Now, isn't Jonah dehumanizing people? That these people, made in God's image, are worth less than this one plant. Many, many people worth less than one plant. That their salvation matters less than what happens to this one plant. Friends, aren't we like Jonah sometimes? Where we value what people give us over the people themselves. But that's not all about, about what God says in verse 11. You see, God has something more to say about the Ninevites. How does God describe them in verse 11? They are people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. Right and left, when it comes together, it's an important concept in the Bible. It talks about how you, how you stay on God's word, don't turn to the right, turn to the left. So like Deuteronomy chapter 5, be careful to do, obey what the Lord your God has commanded you. Do not turn aside to the right, to the left. It's like Google Maps or like GPS. So today I took a, a taxi uh, to, to, to church. I can make it because the GPS said turn right, turn left, and the taxi driver turned right and turned left at the right points. Now, this GPS, Google Maps, is great. It helps you unless you don't know your right from your left. And that's the case for Nineveh. The Ninevites don't know their right hand from their left. This means the Ninevites don't know how to... They are lost in God's world. They don't know how God wants them to live. They don't have God's word, God's Google Maps to guide them. They are... Ignorant. Okay, so let me contrast Jonah's concern and God's concern another way. So, just as Jonah was understandably concerned for the plant and got angry when it died, in a greater sense, 
in the most significant way, God was concerned for the lost Ninevites and sent Jonah to them. Now, the Israelites were my object. You say, hey, how can you say that these Ninevites, they don't know they're right from their wrong? They are wicked murderers. Surely they know. Israel didn't care about Nineveh. Even Jonah had to be dragged by storm and fish to this point. He, even he didn't care about the Ninevites. Because he didn't care about what God cared about. Friends, if Jonah doesn't care about what God cares about, if this so-called prophet of God, this so-called man of God, doesn't care about what God cares about, he doesn't care about God. What does God say about the wicked Ninevites? He calls them ignorant. Ignorant. Just like how the soldiers who mocked Jesus, flocked Jesus, made him carry the heavy, splintered cross to his execution and crucified him on that cross. Remember what Jesus said about these wicked soldiers? When they came to a place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. These evil soldiers were lost. God and Jesus asked the Father for mercy on them. Earlier I asked this question, is Jonah right to be angry at God's mercy? There are two parts to this question. Is Jonah right to be angry? No, because Jonah received God's mercy. Second, second part of the question, is God right to show Nineveh mercy? Yes. Yes, because they are lost. God's concern is right. Now, I care for my three children. Some of you know I have three children. One time, I lost my child. So what happened is, uh, we were in a bus. This child got off at the bus stop before we still get off. And we went to the next bus stop. So what happened is, after I got off at the next bus stop, I crisscrossed the estate a few times. So there's an underpass. So when underpass, come up, and walk overland, back and forth, and I, I ran back and forth carrying my other child, looking for this one child. So this is the kind of concern that I had for a lost child that I was somehow able, able to break the 2.4 record. But thank God that someone found him and got in touch with us. And in the same way, God put all stops to, to seek out the lost Ninevites that he cares for. He sends this reluctant Jonah to tell them uh, about, uh, to, to U-turn, repent, so that they may be saved. So they can escape judgment. God's last word in the book of Jonah, chapter 4, verse 11, reveals God's heart, reveals God's concern for the lost. They don't know their right from their left. They don't know God's word. God's concern for the lost. And what is Jonah's response? If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Jonah chapter 5. There is no Jonah chapter 5. <clears throat> so we have covered the play. We see God's mercy 
the Lord's concern means that we should laugh at Jonah. And then the play ends. The book has left us hanging. What's Jonah going to do? But why has the, the, the book left us, leave us hanging at this point? Because the author wants to tell you, do you know how Jonah should feel? How about you? How should you feel now that you know God's concern for the lost? God cares for the lost, so his people should care for the lost. So for Israel, they too need to be concerned for the lost. And they show their concern by pointing the lost nations to God. So the Psalms frequently tell them to, to, to brag about God to the nations. Give praise to the Lord. Proclaim his name. Make known among the nations what God has done. So that, they might re- so that the nations might believe, and when they believe, that Israelites can join in the rejoicing. Because this brother of yours was dead, and he's alive again. He was lost, and he's found. God still cares for the lost today. So if you don't know Jesus, God cares for you. You are lost because you, you don't know how to live in God's world, in the world that God made. You don't know how to submit to God in His world. Friends, He is seeking you today. He, he is seeking that you may find Jesus and you may be found in Him. And how can you be sure that God cares for you? Well, you can be sure because Jesus shows His love for you by sending Jesus to save you even while you are opposed to him. So trust Jesus' death to save you from, from God's judgment, from your rebellion against him. And for those of us who have been found in Christ, we must care for the lost. Now this is difficult because the lost can hurt us, they can persecute us, they can cancel us, they can kill us. They can even wage a culture war against us. Friends, don't be like Jonah. By uh, what Jonah did, he did not extend God's mercy to other people. We we should be willing to extend God's mercy even to people, lost people, who are hurting us. Rather than just fighting back in this culture war and thinking that they are the bad guys. No. Now, I'm I'm not minimizing the hurts that the lost have inflicted on you. God wants you to know that they behave this way because they are lost. They don't know their right from their left. They don't know how to live under God's authority in God's world. Friends, care for their salvation. Jesus cares for the lost too. See, when Jesus saw the lost in Matthew chapter 9, he had a compassion on them. He said that they are sheep without a shepherd. And that's all. Jesus also says that there's not enough people who tell them about Jesus, not enough workers in the harvest field. So our response is to pray, is to ask the Lord of the harvest, ask God for more workers. And as we ask the Lord for more workers, we go and tell people about Jesus. We are the workers that he sends out. We, you and I, BTPC, we are Jesus' way to seek the lost. Jesus cares for the lost, but we must care too. 
So let's seek the lost together with each other and together with Jesus. Because Jesus cares for the lost. Will you care too? Let's pray. All oh, the depths of riches and wisdom, the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are God's judgments and how inscrutable God's ways. For from Him and through, for from God and through God and to God are all things. To God be the glory forever. Amen. For the sermon, uh, we do not have time for the reflection question, but uh, feel free to take a picture of the reflection question we have. Uh, later, when you go for lunch, uh, your groups, uh, you all have the time to actually discuss and reflect on what we have learned today. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg